0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, Jeff Goodman here, field to 68 after dark, and we were going to wait till the end of the Gonzaga-UCLA game, but. Uh, The end of the game was about five minutes after it started. Uh, So we're going to go now at the eight-minute timeout. Uh, Rob Doster, Steve Prome also joining us here and trying to break down this game. It shouldn't be all that difficult, guys. Uh, It it was an absolute route from start to finish, much like the one I was at a, a week or so ago in Spokane where Gonzaga just ran Texas out of the building. Now they do it to a UCLA team that is completely different than the Longhorns. Texas had all these new dudes. UCLA brought back just about everybody. I get that they didn't have Cody Riley, but Steve, this had to surprise you as much as it did me, right?
2: Yeah, I was shocked. I was looking forward to getting on here about eleven fifteen, you know, my time uh, from that standpoint. You know, even in the Texas game, um, you know, I got home, watched the second half of the game. It was a 20 point game, you know, but they kind of willed themselves to, to get it back to 10, you know, Bolton hit that shot at the end of the half. That was huge, but Texas kind of, they kept you around. They kept you around, you know, tonight it's kind of stayed in that 17, 18, 19, 20 range to where obviously, uh, Gonzaga was phenomenal and, uh, and UCLA was not at its best tonight. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see the Duke game on Friday. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think everybody wants to see now, is, is Gonzaga the dominant team? And if they can pound Duke like they pounded Texas and pounded UCLA tonight, Rob, people are going to be ready to give them the national title. Um, I, I don't buy that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what was it tonight? Was it more kind of a little bit fluky that UCLA couldn't make shots early, dug themselves to hole? And then again, Gonzaga with Nemhard just controlling the pace controlling the tempo. I mean, they were just they were pushing to getting whatever they wanted out of transition early.
3: Now, I, I don't think that it was fluky. I think that this is what Gonzaga is going to be defensively this year. Um, I'm, I'm buying it. I, I don't know if you guys are. And, and Steve, I'd be curious to hear your opinion on this, but I'm buying what they are defensively. Uh, they have the big I don't know if you would call them athletic, but they're big physical wings that can get out and pressure you on the perimeter. And it takes away kind of what UCLA does best, which is just iso ball, right? That's basically what what they want to do. They want to uh, force switches into till they get a matchup that they like, and they want to attack it. It's what they did against Villanova. It's what they did in their tournament run last year. It's kind of how McCronin has has uh, built this team a little bit, and um, they could like Gonzaga wouldn't let them have any success with that. And it didn't help that everybody on UCLA was terrified of getting within eight feet of the rim because Chet Holmgren is back there. And, and Steve, you can attest to this: the value of having that eraser. At the rim, it allows you to take some risks on the perimeter, and it feels like Gonzaga's guys are a little bit more confident, knowing that they have that guy uh, back at the rim, able to protect everything.
2: Yeah, I think anytime you have your perimeter, those perimeter guys know somebody like Chet Holmgren. It reminds me of the uh, Beard's great team at Texas Tech, Tariq Owens when he was was he was spearheading around the basket. You can be so good on the ball. You can pressure. If you get beat, you know rotations coming with Chet. And then Timmy is physical. You know, uh, he may not do it with the with the length and athleticism around the rim, but when you talk about fundamentally sound, guys walling up, uh, he does it uh, from that standpoint. But they, they were terrific. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm all in on this Gonzaga team. Uh, the one thing I wrote down just as I watched the game is they look like they are happy for one another. Yes. They look like they're pulling for one another. They share the basketball. Their chemistry is really good. And because... You know, you say it used to be well they play in the West Coast Conference. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. The West Coast Conference, when you look at the upper half, is really, really good and has had some phenomenal wins so far. Uh, this team has got a chance to to make another run like they did last year for sure.
1: So here's my my only question with them coming in was, can they make enough shots from the perimeter? Right? Do they have those guys? Because Timmy's not a guy who's going to make them. Check can make one here or there, but that's probably not going to be his game. And Andrew Nemhard and, and Razier Bolton. By the way, it is pronounced Razier Bolton, uh, which Steve knows. Um, <laughs> a lot of people got it wrong, including Drew Timmy. Uh, they tried to teach Drew last week how to pronounce it correctly, and I think he just called him like Roz or something like that. But uh, Bolton's like a career. Both Nemhard and Bolton are not great three-point shooters. They're probably like low to mid thirties, and they've both been shooting the hell out of the ball so far this season. Is it a little fluky? I mean, Nemhard came in, I think, seven of 17. Bolton was 10 of 21 from three. They're making him tonight. I think they're eight of 18 so far tonight. Is this a team? You see it all the time. Jalen Suggs last year, right? Got off to a great start shooting the three. And we're all like, oh my God, he's the number one pick. Well, then he came down to earth a little bit and and he had no body of work for us to work from. Bolton and Nemhard have a body of work and they're clearly kind of overachieving uh, relative to what they've done. So, Steve, is this something where you think they'll come down to earth a little bit? Because if they don't make their shots from the perimeter, they're not up 20 early against UCLA tonight.
2: No, transition threes were big tonight. Chet made a couple. Ra made a couple. um, You know, Nemhard made one. And so I think when you look at that, especially when you play with such a strong interior presence like Drew Timmy, and then you put yourself with other really good perimeter guys, where Bolton, Nemhard, Strother, they come off the bench with Hickman and Salas. I think you surround yourself with those guys. And then Chet, you saw tonight, he made two or three tonight from three. Uh, When you have that personnel around you, I think it's going to give those guys a little bit more time, a little bit more space to make shots. And then they're playing with great confidence and shooting is so much about confidence. Um, You know, I just, I think they've continued. I think that's the one thing. They've got to do a great job. They've got to maintain threes at a high level consistently. But the thing I was when we were talking off air is go and look at the shots, contested shots and uncontested shots on both ends of the floor, UCLA and Gonzaga. When you look at percentages, it'll be a stark, stark difference.
3: Yeah, and and yeah, to I your mean, point, at home, if you hit four yeah. in a row to start the game, That that's always going to be a little bit fluky. Right, and that's kind of what happened. Is, is Gonzaga came out, punched him in the mouth, hit four straight threes, got a little bit of a lead, got it going, and I don't think that uh, you can't fall behind this Gonzaga team. You just can't do it because they're too good offensively. You're never going to be able to come back. And um, I think that's probably what kind of did UCLA, and especially if they're sick and they weren't feeling well, like it just it, when you get punched in the mouth like that, it, it's kind of hard to, to bounce back. But I'm I'm less concerned about it because I think that no matter what happens with some of the guards shooting, I think that you're going to have more of an inside outside game than you've ever had in the past with this group because Chet Holmgren, he can knock down threes. And maybe he's not going to be a guy that's out here uh, shooting 45% and taking nine a game like Corey Kispert was, but he's going to be good enough where whoever is guarding him has to respect him out on the perimeter. And I think when you look at all the guys that they have, you can have that. And oh by the way, instead of being a six foot seven shooter like Kispert was, he's a seven foot one monster at the rim that everybody's afraid of.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing is when you take it in against Chet, you could see it with the UCLA. Everybody, didn't matter whether it was uh, Hawkins, it didn't matter whether it was one of their bigs trying to score. After a few minutes, they all knew that Chet was there because he had blocked a couple shots. And once that that happens, it's in their head. They're thinking about it. Uh, they're not just driving, and they should be. They They need to drive and get into his body and get him out of the game. And early on, I actually thought they were better without him in the game. But then he started to get comfortable defensively, made a couple of shots, and he started playing like a guy that, you know, even though he's 188 pounds.
3: Yeah, it's the same thing as shooting, right? Like the the, the threat is not whether it's not whether or not you make the shot. The the impact of spacing and the impact of shooting is the threat of the shot and the way the defenses have to adjust. And it's the same thing. It's not whether or not he actually gets a block. It's the it's the impact that his presence has on the way that you play and the way that the other team reacts to the fact that he's out there. Right. And I I think that just simply having that presence and the knowledge that he is in the paint changes everything for this group. And, and to me, like, that's, that's the biggest thing. I, 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 Doug Gottlieb was on here um, last week, and he said something that really stuck out to me. And it was that uh, Gonzaga has always been one of these teams that will play just enough defense to get the ball back so they can go shoot again to get the ball back so they can go score again. And this group, based off of what we saw against Texas and based off of what we saw against UCLA, it feels like they care more on that end and they're better on that end. And if they're going to get out there and guard for 40 minutes with the way that they can score,
2: like it almost doesn't matter what their shooting is. Yeah, I think the the pace, though, if you looked at a couple times, UCLA got the ball into Miles Johnson early in the game. I just – I think the, the pace of your offense, especially in the half court against Gonzaga, has got to be good because you got to stretch Chet away from the basket, Timmy away from the basket, mm-hmm. and then ball's got to go quick to, to go into the post, to go inside, whether you can go back outside and open things up for Juzang and some of those guys. But none of these coaches will talk about this, but it's kind of like when Baylor played in the national title game last year, and Baylor was clear-cut the best team in the country last year from, from, from A to Z. But this is a back-to-back tonight, and at times early in the first half, UCLA some tough shots. Bolton, Nemhard, and those guards—man—they were running through UCLA. They were just pushing the pace, easy baskets. Everything was at the paint early in the game, outside of those open transition threes.
1: But you're counting it as a back-to-back because they played Bellerman. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Steve? That they were tired from playing Bellerman?
2: I'm just. (laughs) <laughs> I know Bellarmine in Central Michigan Bellarmine won tonight now Scotty Devon all right all right I'll give
1: you that I'll but give you that what I'm would gonna- you do Steve what would you do to attack Chet would you would you send guys and, and drive at him like they did early like I thought the game plan early for Mick was right go at him with Miles Johnson and keep beating him and and get his confidence to where he's thinking a little bit too much whether he can play in this game physically
2: Yeah, I think that's what you've got to do. And if you saw, I just think the pace of, you know, and I don't want to get into technicality in this, but when they come off the ball screens, it's got to be quick. Throwback, post up. We got to beat Chet and get an angle on Chet, and we're not and we're scoring with angles around the basket, off pick and roll, instead of back to the basket and having to go over length because you Uh, can't. Yeah, you're not you're, you're not getting them that way. Yep, Gonzaga was terrific though. I mean, pace offensively, ball movement, made shots. You know, and, you know, these teams, you know, obviously they got a chance to meet again. If it happens, it'll be in March. But Gonzaga's got great tests for us in the non-conference. You know, looking through their schedule, you know, Duke, Texas Tech, you know, Washington's a rivalry game there within the state. Um, and so they'll be they'll be tested. And, you know, the West Coast, you know, BYU and those guys, there'll be a lot of good tests in the league for them as well.
1: So I made a comment uh Earlier, after seeing Purdue the last uh, two days, a couple of days ago in in Mohegan Sun, and Rob was there as well, that I think Purdue could beat Gonzaga right now. And after watching this game, I'm not going to say, like, they're going to beat Gonzaga. But I think they can play with them. I think it's a better matchup for them than it is for UCLA, because they've got an electric guard that is big, strong, athletic in Jaden Ivey, who's great in transition. OK, they've got two bigs that honestly are going to give Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy some problems. And then they got enough other pieces and they'll guard you. They are tough as shit. That's what Matt Painter's teams do. And they've got a lot of really good players. You know, again, Isaiah Thompson. Well, you, some know big is? you know what
3: it is, Goodman? I think that Zach Eadie is the only player in college basketball that is not going to be affected by Chet Holmgren's length. And if Chet, if you if you're not affected by Chet Holgren's length, then he's got nothing. Zach Eady's going to put him all the way through the basket stanchion. <laughs> he will put him so deep, so yeah, like, deep at the rim. I'm not even like I'm, not even, even make like, make I'm not even trying to make a joke. Like Zach no. Eady literally weighs more than a hundred pounds more than Chet Holmgren, and he's seven four. So it's Chet be is to looking so no. like so that that is that is why I think that um, it, it it makes sense, and it's not just. Post touches, right? Like one of the plays that really stood out to me in the first half, and and hopefully Chet's okay, he just landed on the back of his head. Um, yeah, it looks like he's fine. One of the plays that really stood out to me was that first, uh, the first drive that Chet had where he grabbed a rebound, he went the length of the court, and he drove in and he laid the ball in. And everyone was like, Oh, look at that move by Chet. And what I saw was Drew Timmy sealing off two big guys to give Chet that layup at the rim, right? The value of having Zach Eady is that he can just get in the way of Chet and make it so that you don't have that weak side shot blocker coming in to try to get you. The same thing with with Trevion Williams. Like those dudes are hard to get around. Timmy, hey, how is Timmy gonna
1: guard Trevion Williams? Now I know how is Trevion Williams gonna guard Timmy, but but honestly, Timmy's gonna be absolutely destroyed if Trevion Williams gets the ball in the post against him.
3: The, he is. Yeah. So is so is. So is uh, Zach Eadie's going to do the same thing. Like, it's just, it's very difficult matchups for him. And um, that, that's part of the reason why I like that, that for Purdue. The other part is that it's the stuff that they run, right? Like it's, yeah. they get so much, you you can be a, like, let's just assume, okay. Let's just assume that Gonzaga is a great defensive team. Not good. Let's just call them great. Let's just pretend that they are for argument's sake. The thing about Matt Painter's sets and what he runs is, you can get so many shots just out of the stuff that they run. You don't even have to worry about going one on one. You don't have to worry about any of that. It's the staggers and the down screens and all of the counters. Like you talk about Isaiah Thompson, they had one where a couple different times they set a back screen for Edie uh, with Thompson and, and and got Edie like cutting into the post. That game winning shot they hit, they slipped that back screen. They just had Thompson uh, pop out and hit a wide open three. And that's, and that's how they got that ones, last yeah, one because both defenders, two. both the defenders went with Edie. So it's just those little things like that. They can get so much out of their offense. It doesn't matter how good you are defensively.
2: Yeah, Steve, I, you buy it. You buy in Purdue. Yeah, I'm all in. Uh, you know, I've had a chance. You know, this year has been great for me just to go around and watch different practices and see teams and played Matt's team in 2017 the NCAA tournament and you know the second half we end up having to go five out because they had Haas and Swan again. We just put Burton at the five and went small just to try to be able to score and kind of go matchup game against them. So I went up there and watched them in September and talking to Matt, I know he's got about six or seven guys back that average double figures. That's unheard of. He's got an older team. Edie and Williams are huge up front. Jaden Ivey. He's got shooters and then solid point guard play. I'm all in on Purdue. Uh, You saw it this weekend. You beat North Carolina, you beat Villanova. And I didn't see the Villanova game, but if I heard right, they were down 10 and then came back and beat Villanova. That's impressive in itself, but they got the toughness to stay with Gonzaga. Rob touched on their half court execution and their ability to get the ball to Williams and Edie in spots that they can score is huge. That's what they're about. And then we talked about this off air transition defense, jamming the point guard early in transition, early point of pickup. That's a Matt Painter staple, and so be a heck of a game. Uh, but Purdue is a team I, I would be all in on, and and think they would give Gonzaga a great, great game.
1: Kansas, you think they're clear like three now? I mean, do I, I think it's again for me? It's Gonzaga one, Purdue two, and I still think Kansas has got a, a little bit of a ways to go. They can get there when they integrate Remy Martin, and he kind of gets comfortable and it'll probably take a little. Bit longer for for Bill Self to uh, break him down and then bring him back
3: is my guess. But are we putting Kansas there yet? I I don't think that I I would quite yet just because I, I think they can get there and I think they did, they deserve to be in that like tier one category. However, we phrase it, they're they're definitely top five to me. Um, I need to I need to I need to see Remy Martin continue to be this guy that will let the game come to him and make the plays uh, down the stretch. And I need to continue to see. Oshai Igbaje played the way that he played in those first two games of the it's season. It's been good, man. He's kept
1: mm-hmm. it going. He has kept it going and, and confidence is everything uh, for Igbaje. And, and if he can have confidence, that means he's putting on the floor a little bit and, and that makes them a, a much more well-rounded team and, and, and having a guy that's kind of, he's never going to be an alpha dog, but he can be a go-to guy. If he can be that guy, that's, I think what Kansas needs. Uh, Honestly, as weird as
3: this sounds, I think that Kansas would have an easier time with Gonzaga than they would with Purdue. I think they match up a little bit better just because, I mean, we talked about this on the the live stream, Steve. The way that 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 Bill can kind of scheme post-touches and post-seals for McCormick could be a very easy way. Well, I don't want to say easy, but an effective way at
2: getting Chet Holmgren in foul trouble. Yeah. And then, you know, Kansas, we haven't seen them yet. You know, now they add Wilson back. I believe it. Will he play against North Texas on Thursday? North Texas is good. That won't be a a runaway game. I don't think by any means, but the one thing about sales teams too, it's like, are you ready to put them there right now? His teams always get better and better and better and better as the season goes on. But agbaji has been terrific. Uh, McCormick is big up front. You know, Mitch Lightfoot is their backup five. Who's, been in the league now six years and is very, very solid. Uh, but I like that Kansas team a lot. And once they get Wilson back in the fold, you know, I think this team is just going to continue to grow and grow. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do down in Orlando. Uh, when, when you look at that field, um, you know, Belmont, Drake, you know, Miami, Dayton, you know, there's a couple like that. So I don't, I don't know where their big, big tests will come from down there if I'm looking at the bracket right. So the final,
1: 83, 63. Uh, Gonzaga, it was pretty much that way throughout. I felt like it was, it was pretty much 20, um, after the first, you know, 10 minutes all the way through, you know, UCLA never made it a game. Um, Chad Holmgren's final line, um, uh, 15 points, 28 minutes, six for eight from the field, uh, two of four from three, six rebounds. Uh, I'm not sure how many blocks he had, but, uh, he probably altered about 10
3: shots at least. Um, all right, so Chet, I, I don't know how he only got credit for four blocks. Yeah, it seemed like he had more than that. So, all sense. right, Chet, before, we, before we move on to the what I know you're about to ask, yeah. can I just can we just talk about Andrew Nem- Nemhard because he had well, we're going to get there. We're going to get to Nemhard. We we got a little bit of a of a
1: of a of a deal here. How we're going to if you were the host, you would be able to 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 determine which way we're going to go and when. But you deferred on being the host tonight. So instead, you're going to have to wait to talk about Andrew Nemhart a little bit more. So we're going to go into Friday night's matchup for a minute here. And the one-to-one uh, or the one-versus-two matchup between Chet Holmgren and, and Paulo Bancaro. And listen, I, I don't even know who I would take right now if I have the number one overall pick. I, I really don't because you can't judge Chet Holmgren at 188 pounds. He's not going to play in the NBA at 188 um, and again, you look at what he can do from a skill level, shooting the ball from the perimeter, what he can do, altering shots. And then you look at Bankera and again, I've compared him to a young Chris Weber. I, I think he's that good. I think he's skilled. He's strong. He's athletic. He's tough and hungry tough stuff too. He, he just, again, you look at him and, and you're saying he's frail. Um, who would you take right now, Steve from if, if gun to your head, you have the number one pick in the NBA draft. Who are you taking?
2: Probably a bunch of ben- Benchero, you know, today, just from, you know, uh, now watching Chet tonight, you know, up close, you know, I'd probably go back to the draft room, you know, and and really start to, eva- you know, kind of reevaluate and make sure, uh, you know, I would tell you, I could tell you a lot better after Friday night. But if I was going right now in a small sample size, I would say Banchero. Uh, but Chet, obviously, it's one that you, you you could look back on and be like, "Golly, we're the first pick," and you know we let we, you know it happened so many times we let him slip get away. You've got the Darko Milicic story instead of Carmelo Anthony. I mean, you go on and on. <laughs> did, what, did you just call Chet Holmgren Darko Milicic? Is that? Do we just no, say that? No, no. Call, uh, no no no
3: no no? You just say that? <laughs> no
2: no no. I'm just saying you can you can skip on guys. I probably said it the reverse way. You can skip on a guy. Say take. Hey, we took Sam Bowie. We missed on, you know. So where, you know, you just don't know. But Chet tonight was was terrific, and so it, you know, give you some things to think about. But, um, you know, I don't know. Be tough, you know. I, I really, day. I really like Chet as a prospect.
3: Um, I, it's the it's it's the the skinny frame for me, and like you, you see him on TV right now, it, it, his his shoulders are just so thin. It's not this isn't like Anthony Davis where. Anthony Davis had really broad shoulders. This isn't even like Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley was 215, 220 pounds last year. That's 30 pounds heavier than what Chet is. Uh, I thought that Evan Mobley was a more well-rounded and impactful all-around defender. Like he had all of the rim protection stuff that comes with Chet. He was also good enough to be able to sit in a stance and go out and guard somebody on the perimeter at an elite level. And he was also, like I said, he had 30 extra pounds. Those 30 pounds matter when you're dealing with guys in the NBA. Um, he wasn't quite as skilled offensively, but like, I, I, I do sometimes wonder how much that's going to translate. But um, I mean, I, I think Chet's a very, very, very good prospect. I would take him number two in the draft. That's not a diss. I would take Paolo number one over him. I just think it's the the physicality to the size. I can see him translating defensively. I think he's a little bit of a better passer. I do believe in the jump shot and that it's going to come around. I just, he's, he's awesome. I, I'm, I'm taking
2: I'm taking the six foot 10, 250 pound guy that,
3: that runs ball screens. Yeah. They're the thing about balls.
2: Chet, the thing about Chet that always gives him a chance, and he's getting interviewed right now, he play. He has a chip on his shoulder and he yes. has a swagger because everybody's talked about size, strength for so long. And he's playing on the number one team in the country and just had 15, six, and four blocks and a 20 point win over the number two team in the country. And so, um, You know, and then you got to, you got to draft. You know what else it is? He's, he's a big goofy looking, skinny
3: white dude named check playing at the highest level of basketball. People are coming for that dude. Every single time that he steps on his court, the, his entire life, like he's people come at it. He's not, he's he's used to it. He's expecting it. He's, he's, he's ready for it. And if he's gotten to this point, at this level, like there's, there's hard, there's toughness there. There's heart there. It's, it's, uh, the, Again, the thing that always stands out to me I'm Saying this, this is my this. It's all right here in the game against Amani Bates when he was in high school. I just, I, I really, really like him. I, I would take Powell number one over him.
2: It yeah, goes I, back I just, to two skill and IQ. Skill and IQ. You can play right away. I don't care if you're 185 or 225. If you've got skill and basketball IQ, which he has both, mm-hmm. then you can make an impact right away. You know whether it's one, whether it's two. You know. It it depends on how, you know, how long you may want to wait on somebody. But, you know, from that standpoint or what your needs are, but skill and IQ, I think, get you on the floor at any level right away.
1: All right. It is time to talk about the WCC boys because uh, Gonzaga continues to mow down its opponents. Uh, Tonight, we had St. Mary's and Randy Bennett beating Oregon uh, on a neutral court a day after they beat Notre Dame which is like, Notre Dame's probably a fringe NCAA tournament team. BYU has beaten Oregon and Portland, um, San Diego State. Uh, San Francisco has beaten Nevada and Davidson. Santa Clara has beaten Stanford, Nevada, and TCU. I I think now they're like 27-0, those five teams together. And Rob Doster made a statement the other day um, that seemed preposterous, Steve. Seemed absolutely ridiculous. When he said the top half or the top five of the WCC is better than the top five in the ACC, I'm a believer now. I'm, belie- I'm ready to be – and I never agree with Doster. It pains me. But I'm there. I'm agreeing with Rob. I think the WCC, the top – definitely the top three, I-, I think you put up against the ACC's top three, and I- I'm taking
3: them. Yeah, you should. It's, it's the smart thing to do. Like, look, BYU, B, BYU is legit. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that you can look at what they've done so far this year and say anything other than like, that's a top 25 basketball team, right? Um, I think St. Mary's, you just trust Randy Bennett. You trust Tommy Cousy. You just, you kind of trust what that system is to be able to get enough wins to at least put themselves in a position where it's like, okay, we have to have a conversation about whether or not this is an at-large team. When they get Wisconsin tomorrow, and we'll kind of – we'll get to that in a little bit, that's going to go a long way in kind of determining what I think the ceiling for a St. Mary's team could be this year. Um, When it comes to Santa Clara, even someone like a San Francisco, um, it's all about being able to pick up enough wins in non-conference where you can get those computer numbers up, right? Like that's the thing about it is that when you're in the WCC, what kills you is that you you play a lot of teams – like the Portland's and the Pacific's and the Pepperdine's that are going to be in, like, the 200s when it comes to the net and when it comes to Kempom, when it comes to all these computer rankings. So if you could start building up enough of a resume at this point in the season, doing all of this stuff in the non-conference that they've been doing so far, getting all of these wins against power conference opponents, that is going to be so important for them long-term. I want to see a four-bit WCC.
1: Can
3: we make this a a thing? I want to see a four-bit WCC. I think that St. Mary's is going to be good. If they beat Wisconsin, St. Mary's, I, I think, is probably going to get an at-large bid. BYU is going to get an at-large bid. I feel comfortable saying that right now. Gonzaga is probably going to get an at-large bid to the tournament. I mean, San Francisco and Santa Clara, it's on you guys. You've got to find a way to make this happen. Win enough games in conference. Go win the WCC tournament. Hell, I might, I might ask Mark Few just to tank the tournament. Let's get a four-bit WCC. Let's make it happen. Don't show up. Don't play. Say you had positive tests. Don't do it. Let's get a four-bit WCC. We need this to happen.
2: Well, St. Mary's can definitely make their case. I mean, it, you 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 go you go Notre Dame, Oregon, and then uh, and then Wisconsin tomorrow, man. Boy, they've got three in the bank. And then looking ahead of their schedule, they got to go to Utah State. They got to go to Colorado State. They got a chance of San Diego State at home. So they definitely can put themselves in great position. Gonzaga, we already know they're going to be a number one seed, in, in no question, you know BYU they are probably got a great head start with the win against Oregon. But even they've got sneaky good wins. They beat Cleveland State. They beat San Diego State. they got to go to Utah. But the two, like you said, man, it's San Francisco and Santa Clara. Like, can they really be? And I know San Francisco's best wins right now, Davidson, Nevada. Though Nevada had a great win tonight. And, and obviously Steve's got a good team out there. You know, they got to go to Arizona State. You know, they got to get that one.
4: You know, and then Definitely. Santa
2: Clara – they're off to a great start. They got good name wins, Stanford, TCU, you know, uh, Nevada. They got to go to Cal. But those are ones, they got to beat BYU. They got to split with BYU. got to split with Gonzaga. They got to split with St. Mary's. And if they do that, then they're going to have a legit, a legit chance if they take care of the non-conference.
1: Yeah, that's the key. That's the key is somehow getting a win against you know, against Gonzaga or BYU and beating St. Mary's that, that enables San Francisco or Santa Clara that aren't going to probably get the huge resume wins in the non-conference, but can do enough to kind of get on the, on, on the bubble
3: a little bit. You top. what else is really going to help them? The ACC, once you get past Duke, like there's not a lot there that is really all that impressive. Uh, the big 10, once you get past Purdue, like, who has really been all that? Who's the second best team in the Big Ten right now? Is it Ohio State, who almost got beat by Akron? Is it Wisconsin? Like are no, we calling up Wisconsin now? Is it Illinois? Like who who we just saw get embarrassed by Cincinnati? Like it's there. There are going I'm to be sure. a lot of bids, The a, the AAC looks like it might be like a one or two bid league. This year, right? Probably two big Memphis and uh, Memphis and Houston. I, I blanked on Memphis actually. You're uh, yeah, no both A10s yeah, one west is one
2: the A ten is like there are a lot of bids available. You just got to go yeah. get it done. Like well, what the thing, thing like? I wrote the thing I wrote down and when we were prepping for West Coast Conference, is this league better than the Mountain West, the A10, the American, and Missouri Valley?
3: Yes,
1: combined. Combined than all when combined. you look at
2: you know, head to head, are they better than those? you know, four leagues, because if they're better than those four leagues, and they're going to get probably at least three, a possible four, five. But boys again, would have to those, get right. those fourth
1: those fourth and fifth teams have to knock off because you're going to have Gonzaga and BYU that could be, listen, BYU, remember a couple of years ago when the, uh, when the tournament got scrapped, BYU is a team that we thought had a chance. They were in the top 10 at one point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they were at the end there, but they were they were at the top 10. Could they be in the top 10 again and having two teams, you know, among the elite and then St. Mary's maybe being a top 25 ish. Then again, it just gives you a lot more juice if San Fran or Santa Clara going a little bit of a run and, and beat a couple of those
3: teams. And, and even I know that the rankings aren't supposed to help. Right. Like it's not supposed to factor in. But every single person in those NCAA selection committee rooms are humans, right? And if they are looking at something where it says St. Mary's top 25, that next to their number, every time they watch them yeah. play, they 25 next to them. That's going to – it's going to influence you.
4: There's no way around
3: that. Same thing with you see BYU with, like, a number 10 next to them. That's going to impact the way that you kind of look at it, the impact that you, the way that you think about it. And it, it's just – it's unavoidable. It's natural. It's human. It, it's just – it's the, the cognitive stuff that happens that goes into the selection of these rooms, which is why it's, it's so crazy that we rely, we put all of this stock into people putting together these brackets. And it's just a bunch of, it's like 10 guys like us just being like, Hey, you know what? I think I like this. I'm going to value this win more than this one. Right. That's where, that's all it is when they're in there. I like this more than this. That's a, that's all how it,
1: teams team All right. So Andrew and Emhard we'll, we'll get to him because you wanted to earlier and uh, I, I won't completely um, ignore you uh he had 24 points tonight 9 of 13 from the field six assists five rebounds three turnovers and he played all 40 minutes all 40 minutes in a 20 20 point blowout uh thanks mark for you you know first of all get, get him off the floor like we can't see the kid Arlauskis, my boy from lithuania we can't <laughs> get him a little bit of run at the end of the game i mean come on you
3: gotta get your so and he, burn.
1: ridiculous and that's timmy's boy by the way it was a package deal it was almost from, from what I was told, it was like Drew Timmy would come back if Arlowskis was coming back as well. So uh, that was part of the deal there. But Nemhard has established himself as, you know, maybe as underrated a point guard as there is in the country right now. Everybody was talking about Timmy and Holmgren, but the key to this team has been Andrew Nemhard so far because of his ability to make the right decisions, run the team. You know, he can finish in transition. He can play in the half court. He can make a shot. There's not much he can't do. He's actually done a good job defensively, um, smart, cerebral, all of it. So I ask you guys to come up with, is there a better point guard? Is there a point guard you would take right now, Steve, over Andrew Nemhard?
2: Not today. You know, I've got my top three, the guys that I think are, are, are very good and, and right up there with top point guards in the country. But after watching tonight and really sitting down and watching them hard, and they're the best team in the country. He's their point guard. Point guard's job, it's, hey, do you win? Can you impact winning? Do you make people better? And then Nemhard, he's, you know, with Chad and Timmy, they make up probably the best front court in the country. Um, So you're looking at probably the best front court with, to me right now, no questions asked, the best point guard in the country. And you hear Mark Few just talk about him. Uh, You know, he raves about him, Uh, obviously raves about Timmy being the backbone and the toughness in the glue of that team. And uh, the great thing, you know, to mention about Chet is he gets to kind of learn under Timmy, you know what I mean? The, the, the lay of the yeah. land. And I think that's so huge for a freshman that has so many expectations to meet, but, but to meet, excuse me, but Nemhard is, is number one. And if you want two or three, I'll shoot those out. Yeah, of you from sure, that me. Yeah. I would say number two, and this is just kind of got a chance to watch him in practice and, it, and it's about winning. I think Quinterly. I think Javon Quinterly, I love him at Alabama. And that's the team I missed, you know, talking about that bracket that Kansas, Kansas, Alabama Sunday, if they meet up in the Orlando championship, that's going to be a heck of a basketball game. Oh, yeah. uh, and then number three, you could go a lot of different ways. I know Rob's probably saying, where's Akinjo?" And he could be in there, <laughs> but it's about winning. It's about impact. I would say Colin Gillespie. I just love him. I love what he's about. And I love Villanova basketball.
3: Yeah, so I I think the top two has to be Gillespie and Andrew Yeah, Agreed. Right now, I think the top two. Um, I also think that says a lot about the state of guards and guard playing college basketball right now. I don't think either of those, those two guys are like supremely talented, but they're just like good, smart. Heady players that aren't going to beat you, that are going to let the game come to them, that are going to make sure that you're running what you're supposed to run. They're the the quintessential cliche, coach on the floor, doing all that kind of stuff, too. So the thing that really stood out to me, though, was um, I I tweeted out the question, is Andrew Nemhard the best point guard in the country? And someone hit me back with he's averaging seven points a game because look at who they're playing. And look at the scores of the game. Like he doesn't have to do more than that. He's capable of it. He just went up against the number two team in the country and had 25, 6, and 5. Yep. Right. So he he can get it. He can make it happen, but he doesn't need to. And he knows he doesn't need to. And he'll he'll just let everyone else beat him.
2: He'll take it, yeah. he'll take his off nights when he can get his off nights. He's an old man at this point. He's a fifth-year senior. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too, because that you know, they're five or six and oh now. They've had obviously two huge tests with Texas and, and UCLA. The other teams they they've beat convincingly. You know, but when, when we talked about, hey, look up who you think the best point guards, and some of you are doing it off feel and watching them. But when I'm looking at their stats, I'm not looking at points per game first. You know, though I love point guards who can score. My first thing was assist to turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. You know, do you take care of the ball? Do you value the ball? Are we getting good shots every time? And then what's your assist rate? And that that's what I'm looking at first. Now the points will come you know, field goal percentage, things like that, but assist to turnover and do you win? And you them had two of the best. I mean,
1: you had two of the best in the last, you know, six, seven years in the country in terms of taking care of the ball.
2: Yeah. Monte Morris is the best, the best I've ever, you know, had, you know, led to uh, college basketball three out of four years assist to turnover ratio. The year he didn't lead it, he was number two. Uh, there's a great quote Flip Saunders said, point guards come from heaven. Great point guards come from heaven. And <laughs> that's one thing I've been I've been blessed. You know, I had Isaiah Cannon, Cameron Payne, yep. Monte Morris, Tyrese Halliburton, yep. and one kid that's overseas, Nick Weiler-Babb, who I think is is terrific as well.
1: So who's your third, Rob?
3: I mean, there's like nine different guys that you can go with. Pick I, up I'm third. Pick I'm, that. Still, that. I'm still going to lean. I love I love Quinterly. Uh, I think that he is. Part of why he's so good right now is the fit within the system as opposed to just like being the outright, like best dude, if that makes sense. I'm still going to go with the at number three, because I think that Baylor's won a bunch of games and blowouts and like kind of think that they've, they still have a chance to go out and win this thing. Like I don't want to eliminate them from the conversation of the best team in college basketball at this point, same thing with Duke. And hopefully we can come back to that because I think that Duke might have a real chance to, to hang with Gonzaga on Friday, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Kenja. Just if you look at what that yeah. Baylor team is doing, too good. They beat I know Stanford stinks, but they beat Stanford by forty. Yeah,
1: forty. 40. They beat
3: a high major team by forty. Yeah. How often do high major teams lose by forty?
1: No, you're right. Yeah. I mean, this Baylor team. I can't wait to see them. I mean, they've got some games coming up. They haven't played much yet. But they got the second half of their non-conference schedule is loaded, so we're going to see how good Candle Brown and Akinjo and some and Matthew Meyer, how good these guys are this year without you know Davion Mitchell and some of his other dudes. I, I'm I'm going same same one too. I mean, I don't think you can go any other way other than Andrew Nemharding and, and Gillespie. Am I allowed to put Ivy at the point? <laughs> Because no. I just want to put him at the point, man, and let him go. After watching him this past week, I know Matt Painter won't do that. And Doster and, and I kind of talked to him a little bit about that, Steve. And and he said in transition he could do it, but in the half court he's not ready to play the point yet. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with another guy similar to Nemhard and Gillespie. He's not flashy. He just wins. And he's done it under the radar for now three plus years. And that's Kyle Lofton at St. Bonaventure. You know, he just he doesn't shoot it great, but he makes the right decisions. He's an intangible ju- the same things you could say about Andrew Nemhart and Colin Gillespie, you could say about Lofton. Uh, and, and right now, St. Bonaventure, top 20 team. And, and that's what it's all about for me. I'm picking a point guard on a top 20 team. I'm not going beyond that. You've got to be a winning point guard. That's the biggest uh, thing, but I'll tell you what Rob mentioned it and he's right. You go down the line this year. This is the weakest group of point guards I've ever seen in all my years of covering college basketball. Steven, it's not even close.
3: Did you guys just hear that? It's true. What what did you, what did you, what did you say? Say it again. Good. Say it again. Say it again (laughs) for the people listening at home that missed it. Rob is right. Okay. <laughs> there
2: we go. No, you've said that twice tonight.
3: <laughs> you said, it you've twice said that twice tonight, tonight Jeff. Twice tonight.
1: It's brutal. <laughs> it's really painful to do, Steve, but sometimes you just got to, you, you got to admit it and try to move on quickly. That's the biggest thing. Um, Duke Gonzaga, Friday night. It's the one that, uh, again, we're going to be talking about the next few days in college basketball, because now, People are going to give Gonzaga the national title. They are. They're going to give it to him. You know, Duke looked really good, uh, Champions Classic. They haven't really been tested a whole lot since. Um, but they got Ben Caro. It's Ben Caro, by the way, Steve, just for future reference. I screwed it up, too. I screwed it up with Paulo last year. So I uh, just want to make sure you get it right. It's Ben Caro, and he is a stud. But I worry about you know, Duke's point guard situation. I really do. And that's, that's the area that I think as long as Gonzaga doesn't go out and have too much fun in Vegas, I I think they're going to be fine. But if they're, they're out there tonight hitting the strip and, you know, who knows with drew Timmy, what he's doing with the, you know, the stash out there on the strip and, you know, he might get an NIL deal tonight in Vegas. Who knows? Oh, (laughs) yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, uh, here insinuating that these guys are uh, pulling a Jeff Goodman and staying out at four a.m. at the craps
2: table slamming bourbons. All right, yeah, I, don't, that don't, team don't. looks like they they'll be dialed in. I just actually, if we're I, being I, honest, UCLA picking, kind of played
3: tonight like they were at the craps tables until
2: four a.m. slamming
3: bourbon. So yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah,
2: I would if I was picking. I would you you just can't take not taking Zaga. I mean, you know, I don't know what Timmy finished tonight. You know, with tonight. 18
1: but, and 18 you know, and
2: eight, and it was quiet. Quiet. Yeah, quiet. That's what I'm saying. He was quiet tonight, right? But Chet Chet came alive because that was the big thing. Hey, is you know, we haven't seen Chet against Texas. He was okay. He didn't do this. You know, tonight he responded. You know, their guards responded tonight. Um, you know, Duke will get out there plenty of time, they'll be rested. Everybody will feel good. Uh be an unbelievable game. You know, Duke, uh, you know, physicality on the perimeter, you know, you know, will be a test, but You know, I like Gonzaga in a in a really really good game. Hopefully, it's not like this tonight. Either way, all right. So let me ask you this: then
3: there is uh, there's no line up right now at Bet Bet Rivers for this game. That's probably not going to get here until some point on uh, on Thursday night. The college basketball lines um, don't come out until then. Uh, But right now at Ken Palm, Duke is a six point underdog. The same thing that UCLA was uh, on Ken Palm's projections. And I'm just curious: are you are you laying the points with Gonzaga? Are you you think they're going (laughs) to runaway from
2: duke i don't think it'll be a runaway i i you know gonzaga was phenomenal tonight I, I i'm still sticking with gonzaga as the pick but i would think it's a it's a really really competitive and really good game and gonzaga gets tested going to the last media timeout tonight uh friday night for sure i believe it's friday night uh but the over under probably be about 160 i would i would gather because these it's teams 156 both- and it was 156 in this one and we and uh and some of us may have lost the under on. Yeah, but they both can really, really score. You know, you you know that for sure.
1: Yeah, I, listen, I expect it, it, it's not going to be like we saw tonight. That's for damn sure. It, it's going to be competitive. You know, Texas, you know, again, both games, think about it. I mean, you tonight jumped out on, right? I mean, Gonzaga jumped out on Texas. They jumped out on him tonight. I want to see if if Duke plays with them what's it going to be like for this Gonzaga team with a little bit of game pressure? Cause they haven't faced any of it in their two big matchups. And, you know, Vegas, I, I think it'll be probably a split crowd between Duke and, and Gonzaga tonight. It was a pro Zags crowd, which is to be expected. Um,
3: but I, I think Duke will have their share of fans. So, um, I, all right, well, listen, wait, hold on. I, I think that, I think that Duke has a very real chance to win this. Yeah. Um there's a couple of reasons why. One, Mark Williams is he hasn't had the greatest start to the season, but like he's big and he's physical and he's seven foot one, and um, he I, he's going at the very least he's going to be better than Miles Johnson when it comes to getting the ball in the paint and actually making Boy. something happen. I think that yeah. there's the, there's there's a real world where he might be able to actually get Chet into foul trouble and like look he hasn't really done much, um, but the last three games he's averaging 14 points per game. Um, so it looks like he's starting to figure it out a little bit he's a big one paolo obviously is a guy that can be a difference maker they have theo john as their third big off the bench which i mean when you could bring in a a former all big east defensive player as a fifth year senior that is willing to come off the bench that is going to change what you could be defensively that's huge aj griffin is just starting to find his rhythm a little bit um you know trevor keels we the 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 insane performance he had in the garden, he hasn't really backed that up. It, it might be a little bit of a Tyrese Maxey situation, but I mean, he is a dude that we've seen kind of be able to take over a game like that. And maybe he's just someone that rises to the occasion in a moment like that. And this is going to be a moment like that. I think that Duke matches up really well with him. Now I thought the UCLA matched up really well with him too. And that did not go all that well, but I think that there's going to be a little bit, uh, I would, I would be very surprised to see Duke come out as flat, as UCLA did in a game like this and in a moment like this. All right. Thanks to Bette Rivers. Uh, Thanks to everybody for joining us.
1: As usual, tomorrow night, uh, John Fanna, Randolph Childress, Terrence Oglesby uh, will join us at the regular time at 11 o'clock Eastern and uh, tip of the cap to the Zags for the win tonight.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?